Hello there. Welcome to the Oblivious Maximus podcast for another week. I'm your host, Aaron Osborne. This week, my guest is Jimmy Kyle from Chasing Ghosts. Um, Jimmy is uh, started Chasing Ghosts as a solo project, which has rolled into a, uh, a band of sorts with people that he's chosen and uh, musicians he's performed with. Um, they released a record called I Am Jimmy Carl, or he's released a record called I Am Jimmy Carl under the Chasing Ghost banner. Um, and he came over and had a chinwag about growing up in Kempsey and, um, you know, all things about playing punk and hardcore, I guess, in Australia and, um, you know, how that shaped the musician that he is now and <clears throat> the experiences that he had led him to the point he's at. It was a good chat. I didn't know Jimmy before this, so it was cool to meet him and cool to have a chinwag. Um, so yeah, that's the the content of the podcast for this week. Um, as a quick recap, uh, the podcast, as you may be listening to it right now, is getting played on Hysteria Radio, which is pretty cool. You can find that at radio.hysteriamag.com. Um, they'll be having some sort of premieres of the podcast and then some different things from time to time um with you know songs chucked in the mix of these podcasts so if you feel like listening to it over there have a fucking go at it it'll be a ripper cool thing digital radio um so yeah i I guess from time to time i'll be contributing pics of songs i think to that and the people who i guess on the podcast will too and then obviously the ripping programming they're getting in as well so that'll be cool Another way to hear this, another way to spread it around if you're keen. I uh, do appreciate everyone who listens to the podcast. And if you're you know, listening to this the first time since the one went up last week with Luke from Unified, well, welcome. This is the Oblivious Maximus podcast. You can obviously check it out on SoundCloud, Stitcher and iTunes as well. Um, but yeah, Hysteria Radio, thanks for having me. Pretty mad. Pretty mad. Um, other than that, Check out Year of the Rat. Check out Mental Cavity. Check out I Exist if you want. You know, we're still a band. Songs are on the internet. Give that a crack. Um, otherwise, yeah, be doing my podcasts. Sort of schedule them a bit more regularly again. Um, so have some new ones up soon. But for the time being, please enjoy Oblivious Maximus episode 62 with Jimmy Carl from Chasing Ghosts. Brutal. Thank you for doing my podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Um, so, I start all of them off by asking people how they first primarily got into music. What was the thing that, like, sparked music as an interest for you? Um, I was seven years of age and mm-hmm. I walked into the local music store and I seen a black Fender ripoff. Yep. And I thought it looked badass. Okay. And I remember sitting in the back seat at seven... And thinking, I'm going to get chicks with this. And I pulled it out of its case and realized I had zero talent. Sure. And considered telling my mum to turn around and take it back. <laughs> but at the time in the, uh, might have been the 80s or might have been 1990, mm-hmm. 
$275 was very expensive. So I had to sure. live with my lie of no talent <laughs> and learn. And I never got chicks, but... Well, you know, there's you, still time. There's, yeah, well... <laughs> um, yeah, I had, I had a similar thing. I got a guitar bought for me when I was about seven. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, now play guitar and have done for quite a long time. But when I was seven, I remember a similar thing thinking like... This is going to be fantastic. I can't wait to do this. And then like famous. putting my hand on and go like, this hurts my fingers pressing these strings. I never want to do this again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is over. Because I'd never actually seen that. Like guitar players just knew how to play them. I'd never seen mm. anyone take a lesson in a movie ever. They were just... And I remember also like my big influences at the time were Guns N' Roses and uh, Michael Jackson just on that song with Slash. Sure. And I was just like, oh, just gagging to shred. Oh. <laughs> that's all you wanted. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I was at seven. I was pretty gacked out of my mind to think that I was going to be able to play. <laughs> to play. <laughs> Definitely didn't Sweet happen. Sweet child of mine licks. Mm. Didn't happen. Um, so where, what was like music like for you growing up? Was it something that was a part of your home? Was it something that was a part of like the culture with you growing up? Or Yeah, I grew up in the sticks. So my father played a lot of Western stuff okay. and uh, he had a obscure obsession with ABBA okay. which later through any record I ever released he would respond with it needs a good beat that's what it <laughs> needs like ABBA and I would just be like yeah no I, I can see that thanks for pointing that out to me now, now you've mentioned it that's that's the problem there is a stark lack of ABBA influence yeah. <laughs> in this music I'm yeah. releasing yeah I'm, uh, that's exactly what the problem was so uh but the Western stuff probably stuck with me. The songwritery stuff, um, the storyteller stuff. And then my um, one of my elder sisters was a metalhead. Okay. And so it started out with like very young listening to uh, Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin, and all these sort of older records at the same time listening to Metallica and Pantera. And I remember I finally... Be, uh, came across Sepultura mm-hmm. and there was a lot of metal, a lot of grunge, a lot of old heavy metal, sort of that big stadium rock stuff going on. And and she was right into it. So she kind of educated me through it. And I remember when I first heard Sepultura, I was just like, there is, I was like maybe 12. Yeah. And I felt like I was possibly listening to Satan. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was so heavy. This is the opening of hell. Yeah. In my ears. And I remember just like, kind of gritting my teeth through it going i'll learn to love it yeah i I must be cool enough to listen to this because the cool kids are listening to this (laughs) and uh it it just became a competition of whatever was the heaviest you had to listen it but as time went on i absolutely fell in love with simple true even to this day it's one of my favorite bands so i kind of like uh yeah i remember the first time i heard toe to toe i was like oh this is kind of like if someone can't play their instruments, what heavy metal would sound like. <laughs> yeah. And then they, they probably would turn around now and go, yeah, we were punk. That's exactly, yeah, yeah. that's what we were aiming well, for. That, that's like, and like a lot of those bands of that uh, era as well, that was the thing. A lot of them didn't know how to play guitar. No. Well, they were the first independent band I think I ever really listened to because sure. everything in the sticks was pushed by Roadrunner. Yeah. And like May, you know, like, and it was like, maybe sanity or some mm-hmm. bloody horrible 
you know, yeah, chain. CD chain. And then you would ask for some obscure record and they'd be like, look, that'll be 36 months. <laughs> yeah. And it's $52 yeah. to get that on CD. But you were cool as shit if you did it and you burn yeah. it for a thousand of your mates. So <laughs> that's what we did. Oh, well, it wasn't burning back then. It was like tapes, cassettes. Yeah. Yeah. They were cool. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely had the same thing with bands like Sepultura and that as well, because I guess, like most people, when you get into metal, you go through, you know, the, the ones that play in stadiums, and mm. then you get to the pub bands after mm. many years or whatever. But I had a similar thing, but yeah, bands like Sepultura, and then like the first sort of like run of death metal bands that I got into was all through... Morbid Angel. Yeah, yeah. I, remember, I kind of remember when I came across uh, Denny Filth, Yeah, you know, Cradle of Filth, mm-hmm. and just being like, she's hot you know <laughs> and, and then and then being really hurt that denny filth was not a woman at all yeah just a really ugly man yes. it's quite effeminately i just couldn't do i couldn't go that demi burger was another one that i just kind of like that never went i never went the norwegian thing i was sure kinda started to go towards punk hardcore i think at that point. yeah well i mean it's and it that and that stuff like it it happens with like the sort of area that you're growing up in too. So I guess like... There weren't a lot of goths in rural Australia. Yeah, I I can't imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, interesting because they were so backwards, they probably would have really liked really white people. So (laughs) I'm surprised they weren't all for it. But you would have literally scared people in my hometown. We were really excited when McDonald's came. That's how... So where where is it? I grew up uh, before living in, in Melbourne and Sydney and stuff like normal people. Um, I grew up in a little country town called Kempsey inland okay. in New South Wales. And yes. You could probably swap, you know, Kempsey for um, Wangaratta or sure. any of those towns. And My it, grandfather's from Kempsey. Really? I know where it is, yes. What's, what's his last name? Osborne. Osborne. Last name. Are you related to Matt Osborne? No, no Matt Osborne's. Oh, I'm going to suss your grandfather. <laughs> i got a feeling that there's there's degrees of separation. There, prob- there probably is. You, I can't imagine there's very You look actually like a few Osborne <laughs> Not oh, Aussie, dear. which is the main point. A turtle bummer for me has been my whole life. <laughs> would, would be for yeah. anyone in the middle community. Oh, you like metal and your last name is Osborne? Yeah. You must be related. I'd claim it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but so what was it? If if then it, listening to metal and stuff took a turn for punk and hardcore and things for you, mm. was, there, was that something that was alive in Kempsey or was that something you found oh yourself? no way no not even close yeah uh the Vans Warp Tour came through sure and that was like the first one that came to Australia mm-hmm. and that definitely influenced people and I had like you know I, I'll confess my darkest secrets at one point I, I did listen to new metal sure and, so did I and um you know we, I know kids today think that's cool yes you know they they're hearing Ocean Grove and these in these bands and like oh I love how they pull these retro tones into their music, you know what they're doing. But it was like at the time it was uber cool yeah. for like two years and then it became like cancer. You wanted to get away from yes. it as far as possible. As so, soon as you heard the next heavy thing, you're like, oh God, why not listen to that? Yeah. So at that point, uh, a chick that I had a crush on who was like, uh, we were like 15 or 16, we're on the bus and she gave me a mixtape mm-hmm. as you do. Sure. She on the bus on the way home from school and she had you know like back then you the chicks used to wear like the baggy shorts with the chain and it was everything was a bit tomboyish yeah and you know I was, it was my dawson's creek moment i really she was my joey potter and she gave me a mixtape sure. and it had all these punk bands on it and all these hardcore bands on it and that whole summer 
that's what I listen to. You know, word for word, I learn every line. And yeah. those songs still to this day playing clubs. And I'm like, would have had no idea that that little era in that punk and you know if there was sort of like a mixture of pop punk and surf skate punk and and there was some hardcore bands on it and sure. that era was actually like an era that a lot of people my age kind of grew up listening to those songs you know like uh even songs like more punk songs like uh ruby soho and you know all that sort of yeah stuff and then of course that made me go back into things like you know dk's and and other buddies were listening to Descendants and stuff like that. And off we went. We just kind of just started listening to anything outside of metal. Yeah. Except for my love for Sepultura remains. Which stayed there. Perfect. Still stayed. But they, I mean, I guess Sepultura, you know, anyone who likes them knows this. They have a pretty punk ethic to them. And a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot about them punk is... punk in the early days. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, they were one of those bands too that always had like, like discharge stickers on their guitars yeah. and yeah. stuff like that. You know, they weren't like... But what, was, metal dudes for metal bands or whatever. What was bizarre though, like back then, like dreadlocks were in punk, you know. Yeah. Those things were around. And then, of course, so then you got the bands like Sublime. That that was another sort of thing that was, you know, the spin-off yeah, punk sure. band, you know. And re- can you remember Skankers? Yes. Skankers. <laughs> I really wish this generation got to experience just a guy up on stage. Just having a crack. Skanking away. <laughs> just having a solid skank. That's like the equivalent now is like people who get on stage and like try and take a selfie with someone oh. and just like destroy the vibe entirely. Are you allowed to swear on this podcast? Absolutely. Please what do. a fucking joke. Yeah. What a narcissistic generation. Just, ste- just get off. Yeah. And what happened to the selfie stick? Yeah. That had a crack, you know? Just, that was your chance. That was Be it. in the crowd. You got the stick. Whoever you got the link. invented that is just so brilliant. Like, <laughs> it's just a stick. Yeah. And it's so smart. Yeah. You know, if you're sold, I'd love to know who did that. That dude's probably a millionaire somewhere laughing. So if you're listening, creator of the selfie stick, hit Jimmy up. He's yeah, tune in. some info. Tune in. Come to a show. <laughs> I want to see what you're up to. Yeah. Good one. So where, I guess at this point you're getting into punk and hardcore and all that. Mm. By this point, had that seven-year-old guitar playing caught up to you by that point? Yeah, uh, I was like starting in my first band, my first sort of high school band around like 15, 16. And it was, we had no idea what we were doing, of course, as you Mm -hmm. do. And we played religiously uh, before school, during lunch uh recess for 15 minutes yep um we were just obsessed with it every day it was the greatest thing we had horrible songs sure uh they had no direction some of them were like seven minutes um, Perfect length. some of them were like at <laughs> 130 yeah um no rules let's put a chorus in it five times yeah why not two bridges <laughs> let's do it and uh it's really, so sick we just gotta keep going yeah very musically self-indulgent and yeah. then uh i think Probably when our music teacher came in and um, he played uh, Slave New World sure. on the piano. Wow. And we were just like, you're a boss. Yeah. We will follow you into the regions of Nadia. <laughs> After that, we were just like, this dude's sick. And um, that's probably like around 15, 16, we, we started to like try and actually learn what music was about a little bit and, yeah. and, and started to like... Change and I sang opera and jazz and theatrical and uh, learned to perform as a soloist, which was r- super p- 
petrifying, which mm-hmm. I didn't think later down the track I'd ever do. Yeah. And then, um, and we learned to play our instruments and we learned to play music. And, uh, you know, I went back to those sorts of, sort of some of the oldest stuff I'd learned. And yeah, it was, it was interesting. You just became a musician, you know? And then we yeah. did our first tours. I remember we drove like seven hours, eight hours to Sydney and we played the, in, I think the suburbs called Bexley. Sure. Maybe, maybe. And it's like, it was like three bar flies on the bar. Sure. And <laughs> you wouldn't believe this. If, if, it's so bizarre. It's true. So we went down there to play for Sony Music, right? Right. Um, they were like, set up a show and we'll come and watch. Like we're, you know, back then it was, you thought a major label was going to do the work for you somehow. We had no clue. So we drove this massive trip down. The anticipation is huge. And this band, the name's on the tip of my tongue, uh, something like maybe Diorama Rama or something right. like that. <laughs> we build on this obscure bill. And Cy from uh, Gangnam Style, old mate Cy, he's lookalike. Right. Takes the stage and uh, everyone's in sequined outfits and they do like video kill the radio star. It is like something out of an RSL on a Friday night in the covers <laughs> band and atrocious. And that's who we, we like had to either support or go on after or something. Yeah. And we were just like, we really are like, you know, in our home region, we always played with punk and metal bands, but we just didn't know what to do. Yeah. Needless to say, Sony didn't sign us. <laughs> so the warm-up I, didn't really work. No, Favors but, I couldn't believe it. We were just like, you know, we were like too young to have a beer. Yeah. And we walk into this bar and, uh, yeah, it was the the campus obscure, you know, Gangnam style RSL club band I've ever That's seen. That's a bizarre way to that work That was the entry into the Sydney music scene. <laughs> and thank God eventually... Um, some you know a couple of local promoters who are into metal and and into punk and alternative music picked us up and we started to learn the ropes yeah sure and that's like what you know 15 years ago yeah more than that and so i guess when you found when you found that speed though and you start sort of building up that stuff how did that uh impact on you guys living you know considerably far away was that a catalyst to make you guys move or of course yeah totally and the the argument back then like so no one was touring regional until punk hardcore broke out you know yeah um diy just it, it was it was um i remember like there was a couple of bands from brisbane that were starting to do it but it really was the punk hardcore scene that started to tack together coastal shows and yeah so the conversations then were like we we can go to Sydney, but what for? Yeah. Uh, and and when we can do something, or we've got to make this leap to Melbourne. And people probably have to understand that back then there was, like you didn't have it in your phone. You couldn't find out what Melbourne looked like. Yeah. You had to go had to... home and <laughs> and dial up on a computer, and your parents would be like, "Get off the phone! Yeah. You're it's twenty five cents." <laughs> you know, and then so. To find out what Melbourne looked like. So we had no idea. We knew that Victorians liked AFL, yep. which we thought, you know, was the most obscure, cultish, no, bizarre yeah. behavior. No one must like that. <laughs> no, we were just like, this is, well, these people speak English? What yeah. happens down there? And then we, we, we had no idea of the weather. 
Mm-hmm. And people who say global warming is not an effect, they're full of shit because it rained every day we were in Melbourne the first <laughs> year we came. Uh, and then we we knew of the ESPY was this great venue. And we, we were religious readers of things like um, Beat and, sure. um, and any alternative press was like, the only portal to see outside of rural Australia, you know? So we'd go like, get like maybe it was beat magazine or, um, blunt, you know? Yeah. And we would froth that so hard. Like you'd read it three times over. It was like a Bible and those sort of things. So I remember we'd go to Sydney and, uh, what's the alternative record store? I think it's still there. It was there for years and years and years. Resist. Uh, no, but this was like before Scotty had resistance. Utopia? Like Utopia. Is that sure. still there? Yeah. And Blackie's still working there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. So we like walking there, we're like, that's Blackie. And we'd just be like <laughs> frothing hard. And we just, oh my God, that's the hard ones. And we'd walk over. And we were just like, that to us was like what tourists must think when they see the opera house. Like that was like the, the Yeah, yeah big deal, yeah. And we went in there. And like, I was, I was like 15 before I seen the city, you know. So I like went in there and I was like, there's so many people. <laughs> you know, it's just shot. So we, we half we, of Kempsey are in the shop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we grab the uh, we grab the like the magazines and we take them home and read them. So we we knew that the SB was a big deal. Mm-hmm. We knew the corner was a big deal. Um, we had no idea what we were going to do, but we just had to go to Melbourne. And so we got in my old Scooby Doo bus that my dad bought literally for six hundred dollars and a pig. Right. And like <laughs> I told my producer, this is American guy, and he's like. It's like six hundred dollars and a pig, and it's like only you. And he's like, "That's some country breeding." And I'm like, "Well, that's you know, that's how we hustle." So you trade? We'd say we hustled back up there. So he got a got himself a a pig mobile, Mm -hmm. and uh, for six hundred bucks off off one of my cousins who. pretty sure married one of my other cousins and great and um yeah fitting the mold keep keep them pigs in the family (laughs) and then uh and then we made our way to melbourne and um and we got down here and it was just so difficult it was so clicky Mm. and we we just couldn't get any in and then eventually someone somewhere gave us a chance and it was in like my high school band back then and it and it took off it done quite well for what it was meant to do you know for that yeah. part and stage of your career and it did well and i made a bunch of friends and networked and back then you could literally go and i'm sound like one of them old guys now because i am but it was like you could go on a tuesday night you'd, you'd go see a show at the green room you get on a on a a uh, tram you'd sneak up the road and you'd go see a band at the art house mm. and then you'd fly over across town uh and you'd go see a band at the corner yeah you'd see the headline band at the corner and you would do that five six nights a week yeah and you just had the energy to do it and it was crazy we'd never seen anything like it and shows people were out you lived it you yeah know? yeah i mean I, I had a similar thing so like i mean i grew up in canberra and played in canberra and obviously canberra's a considerably bigger place. capital back yeah, then yeah it was yeah. aggression yeah but like a like a, a bigger place obviously than somewhere like kempsey but mm-hmm. a, a similar thing the first time i ever came to play a show in melbourne was like what the fuck is happening here? Like, this is crazy that mm. this many people are at these things yeah. and they're, you know, and like, obviously the caliber of bands was like totally different as well. Oh, yeah. And like, I guess Canberra being a place where things were quite insular. So it meant that you didn't really know, like you knew Sydney cause it was close. Mm. But again, like I, by the point where I was playing and able to tour and things like that, 
playing in Sydney wasn't really a cool thing because I'd been there sure. as a kid to go see shows or whatever. Yeah. And I didn't really want to go there. But Melbourne was, like you said, like in magazines, it was a thing that people talked about. And a lot of like the show reviews in straight press yeah, yeah, were of, right. of shows in Melbourne. There's and always like, them same venues. Those yeah, big, yeah. Corner and, yeah, you yeah. know, stuff like that. And you just wanted to go there. Um, <coughs> I remember like the first time we walked in the SB. Yeah. Being like, again, like this is hollowed ground. You know? Yeah, yeah. And like literally being going like, the bass player and me were like right into this stuff and he, he was sort of like tapping the shot and be like, Midnight Oil played here, you know? Yeah. And like, I, I think Midnight Oil are one of the greatest bands that ever existed. For sure. And, you know, they had a punk orientation when they started mm. and sort of did their own thing and went more, uh, you know, I, I guess sort of mainstream. But they, um, you know, we'd be just sort of tapping ourselves on the shoulder because what people probably don't realize is back then, if you weren't on a major label or getting mainstream sort of like you weren't on video hits i believe yeah yeah or rage and everyone watched rage mm. i don't know if anyone watches rage now um but everyone watched those yeah yeah in for rural sure. areas and taped it and oh, stuff yeah, yeah yeah totally and you i we were talking about this the other night the funny thing about rage was can you remember how like you'd watch it and you'd and you'd be like oh this song sucks i'll just wait up one more song yeah yeah the next one will be good. The next, the one's next one will be, be a metal sick. song. Like, the next one's going to be sick. And then you'd wait, like, it'll be like, it's probably the equivalent of, like, uh, looking on Facebook for memes now or something. Because yeah. you'd be like, <laughs> this sucks. And then you'd, you'd wait sort of 20 minutes and then you'd be like, just one more. And then finally, like, I think, like, well, maybe, like, follow the leader would come yeah. and, and that would come on. And you'd be like, yes, I know I have a metal gap here. There is yeah. a gap of. There's got to be four music. songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you'd lose the way they're like sets at the ocean. You'd yeah. lose it, and you'd be like, "Oh shit, it's gonna be another two hours before I hear anything else." Uh, it's four o'clock in the morning now. I better yeah. go to bed. I guess <laughs> yeah, like yes. that. I saw three metal videos. <laughs> yeah, and it was worth it. Yeah. You loved it. No, no, I, I, I used to. I was definitely whenever there was a special. Whenever it was like, I remember I, it's probably somewhere in this house now. Anthrax hosted it, and I oh, was yeah. like, "You gotta." I, I like sat up, watched the whole thing, taped it. Yeah. Then for like every, you know, every time like mates would come over, just chuck on the Anthrax oh, yeah. Rage yeah. host and just watch. Again, yeah. this is before music DVDs were a thing. Yeah. So you just sit and press play and you yeah. just watch three hours of songs that Anthrax liked. Like, that was sick. Yeah. But, and, and, and I, yeah. That was also the era where I combined Goon with my youth. That was, you know, and it's where it was, you started. Like, yeah, man. It'd be like country town. So we'd go out to like Smithtown or Southwest Rocks or something. And I had my girlfriend at the time and it, and you'd go out there and it was like, I knew my night was going to end with rage, yeah. but I was going to drink a whole bunch of goon beforehand, <laughs> get real sick. Yeah. And I just have a fucking ball. And yeah. I'm just telling all them, any young people out there listening to this, like bag of wine, start there. Got to do it. Work your way through it. Yeah. Once you got alcohol poison, you'll realize don't drink the whole thing in one go. <laughs> Share it round. Share it round. I I always did. Um, our thing was always going to parties, and again, like a sign of the times, I suppose. But parties like parties were great. Yeah, just that was it. Yeah, and only buy like a twenty nine dollar case of like Carlton Cold or whatever oh, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. and just because you never had no one had back then these. Fruity ass beers we've got now, like, and I know that's half of Melbourne's just turned around and gone. I hate him, but the 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 niche, like the the, uh, oh my, my vocabulary has just died. What do you, what do you uh, craft beer? Yeah, you know you didn't have craft beer. Remember when crownies? 
was well, the like, fancy beer. Yeah, if you had got which tasted Christmas. like VB, yeah, but just in a different bottle, yeah, and, a gold wrapper, <laughs> and some wanker would always like he'd strut a little bit differently because he had paid an extra ten dollars yeah. for the crownies on his shoulder as he walked back to his high ace or something, and you'd just be like, you, you know, crownies were like for weddings and Christmas, and, and Christmas that's all and I like engagement with. parties. Yeah. Just like like the equivalent of the rural uh the rural equivalent of like a cuban cigar <laughs> in the case of crowdy yeah that was that was it's it. all the gold man you just see gold yeah and, you're like, and it tastes this, you're this like, is better be good yeah this it it tastes like vb but i feel better about myself <laughs> so yeah that was kind of uh i think that era it was a pretty cool era coming into music music made a lot of friends that was what yeah I was yeah right about. well i mean that was a thing for me too was that I guess living in a small town, ta- uh, you know, a smaller place, you just, you gravitate towards a small group of people and mm. you sort of make friends like that. And mm. I mean, I'm sure it's, it sounds the same for you as it was for me. It was just towards the other five people that liked the music I liked. Yep. And then those five people made up the band I was in. Yep. And then, you know, over time, then you meet other people. And sure. when you leave school, obviously that helps because your network goes beyond <laughs> people you see every day. So I literally remember, that, and this is, I don't know if anyone else in a band's ever been through this, it, and it doesn't happen as an adult, but the idea of one of your band members playing in another band would be oh. like your girlfriend sleeping with another guy. Yeah. You know, or your your partner sleeping with another part, another person. So the... I remember like when the drummer of my childhood band, we'd gone through like um, our first like losing our virginity, girlfriends, yeah. first time we got drunk, uh, you know. Hit sneaked, all those adulthood milestones yeah, yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Went through the HSC, smoked a doob, uh, fist fight, you know, all those sorts of things. The coming of age stuff. And he was ready to leave the band. He had to go to university and this was the And we sat on the edge of his bed and cried. We yeah. cried like a breakup and we sort of like pleaded and it was like, I'm right. You know, it was a big deal. Yeah. And still to this day, like I play now with Chasing Ghosts with, with a bunch of guys I've known for years and who have been in a bunch of other projects and I love them to bits and mm. it's a very different thing. But I still remember how important that was. And I reckon if any reason you get into music, the friends you make, it's the journey. It's definitely the journey. The rest yeah. of it's the destination. Well, I think, and I think you learn a lot of stuff about like making friends and holding on to friends and things like that too. Cause I remember similar stuff where like you would like people would leave a band or something like that would mm. happen. And then you would like be mad at them or something. Oh, yeah. And you would like not want to oh, be friends with them, yeah. which is like now the amount of bands I've played in now is like ridiculous. And to think that like, if at any point I would dislike those people yeah. because I wasn't playing music with the very anymore. personally. Back yeah, then. it was. It would be insane to think that now. But it's you know? a little bit like, you know, even I was like that with like uh, even like highly successful international bands that were massive. Yeah, yeah. Like if one of their members left, I would just be like, "You've betrayed us." Yeah, you're we, a fucking dog. There's a reason why you <laughs> left. <laughs> yeah, and I would be angry at the other band as well. And when the new guy'd come in, I'd always be like, "Nah, this guy sucks." Nah, he's <laughs> shit. Is shit. <clears throat> yeah, I think I don't know. I think the it's a weird. I've talked about it a lot on this podcast, but I guess that I guess primarily because I talk to people from like alternative music, but mm. that is a weird thing that 
it's sort of a segment of culture that a lot of, of subcultures that like a lot of people will never understand is mm. that how influential on like the the rest of your life having those friendships was because it really frames how you develop as an adult where a lot of uh, like and again i don't know because my experience was in like metal and punk and hardcore and stuff i don't know what it's like for other music genres or other interest bases you know Mm. like I know I but like, like a violin players having the same problem. Yeah, or, or even having. or even like you know, <laughs> like people player. who love playing cricket. Like I don't know, maybe they have similar There's people things. Who love playing <laughs> there are. Yeah. Um, but you know, like maybe they had a similar experience. I don't know. I thought people were just like getting drunk in front of the <laughs> cricket. I thought it was just another reason for people to get drunk. That that could be true too. But yeah, you know, like do they is that something they experience? Probably not. Like at least the way that we've had it, you know. I don't. I don't know uh, whether in the the sporting domain, whether or not, um, or whether or not there's sort of. I'm just trying to think. I don't know, and I think the difference might be like I guess you know if you win that, that high school premiership or that university yeah. premiership, there's probably some parallels, but. Um, Maybe the difference is that when you get up and play music, especially when you're young, is you're incredibly insecure. Yeah, sure. You've got virtually zero Mm -hmm. self-esteem compared to when you're an adult, hopefully. Yeah. Um, You know, you're really vulnerable to criticism and... You've got to, and you, you do that with your buddies. You go into the trenches together. So, you know, there's always like one obscure, like kind of really quiet, nerdy guy in every band. He's yeah. kind of probably most likely the most talented one in the band. Absolutely. He's like the savanti kind of <laughs> yeah. weirdo that no one quite understands, but you've got to invite him along because he's more talented than everyone else in the band. And he's, he's holding everything together. Yeah. <laughs> and then like usually the charismatic one who's dumb as dog shit, like when it comes to music, ends up as the bass player or the singer. <laughs> Sure. And they're like, you know, the roles that require probably the least proficiency to, to fake in front but a, of them. But are happy to garner the most attention. Oh, totally, totally. <laughs> so I think, but generally speaking, you, you're getting up in front of your peers at a period of time where you're really sensitive mm. and um, you're vulnerable. And yeah. your mates are standing alongside you next to you going, well, we believe in this. And I think that strength it takes as young people and the fact that you do it with your buddies that you have to prove your friendship Hmm. and get up alongside each other i reckon that's a real special bond and that's where there's got to be a whole bunch of trust that goes into it a whole bunch of vulnerability that goes into it i reckon them high school bands are some of the coolest things ever and i see a lot of guys who played high school music that were you know talented i see them now as 30 year olds in in highly successful bands it changed shape and it moved and and it looked different and different people are involved but a lot of those relationships stick you know yeah absolutely i mean and uh, i think as well like you're saying like showing i guess you are you're at a point in your life where you know particularly alternative music everyone's sort of in it for there's a reason why you're into it you Mm. know like whether it's you know filling a gap that something else has left maybe or you're you're not heaps confident with your emotions Mm. or expressing yourself so you're choosing to do it through this or whatever Mm. But like it is, it, you know, it's quite interesting how how that develops for people and how you get over that first hump of, 
you know, playing your first show or mm. and like developing your friendship group beyond. But what about the first bomb out? Yeah, you know, absolutely. The one that is just, it's a clusterfuck. Yeah. And, you know, the strings break because <laughs> yeah. you've played, you've had them for two years. You don't realize you Someone missed the bus and didn't yeah, make it. <laughs> you know, or there's just like something happens at a show and it's public humiliation. So it's ride or die when you're young. Yeah. You know, and, and then when you realize not one show makes or breaks a band. No. Uh, friendships will make or break a band. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's what I was talking the other day. Um, and I'll, you know, I won't name them because they're doing their own thing. But I was talking to a buddy of mine who's, um, you know, internationally successful, renowned band, and, and and the challenges they're facing. And we were talking about friendships, and I just said, you know, bands, they can make amazing friendships, but easily can destroy good friendships. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're all up in each other's business twenty four seven. Yeah, and I think as well too, it it really, if anything, it puts this strange pressure and like a real microscope oh, on yeah. how your friendship is mm. beyond just being mates with someone that you see at the pub or whatever, you know, like, totally. or, you know, and you just hang out on weekends where like when, even if you don't play music all week with each other, like, you know, now, like are you just fucking texting each other all day and you're yeah. talking shit and or then you're talking about band stuff and you're arguing all the time about mm. tiny things that mean nothing, but yeah, you're arguing they, about they it. Put that, you know, and sort of when the, Sort of not like these days, everyone's like weekend warriors, you know, when it comes to touring. Yeah. So if you were to go back um, 10 years ago Mm. or eight years ago, um, you would go on the road for easily three weeks, week off, another three weeks, week off, you know, and the, it was there in Australia. You could do that sort of circuit. I remember like we would play, um, sort of southern Queensland and you'd go as far around the coast until you got to like Port Lincoln mm-hmm. you know which was like eight hours past Adelaide you do Wyala and it looked like you're on Mars and then yeah. you'd, you'd <laughs> get to Port Lincoln and everyone had money and then you'd so you'd jack up the ticket price and then you'd come <laughs> back to, you'd come back and but that if that shines a light on you know that really puts a microscope over friendships and, yeah and then suddenly you got a bunch of guys who are weighing up whether the reality of what they thought it took. Yeah. And the financial uh, pressure. Mm. And I think the parental pressure as well. It's like, you know, guys get into their 20s and you start yeah. hearing parents go, well, you know, that was cute. And you just had a good run. Could do something. Yeah. And how's that apprenticeship working out? Yeah. You know? yeah. Is Coles really your thing? <laughs> and... Um, can you move out of our fucking house? Yeah, please? yeah. Stop living in our garage. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, so. I think that's that's the interesting thing. I remember when I was going to stop music, and a buddy of mine who who works for a record label said, "I didn't know you could do that." And I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Just stop being a musician." Mm. And he said, "Like, are you just kind of kidding yourself?" And I've seen that a lot as well. Guys who walked away, fix up the other parts of their lives that have been neglecting, and then want to come knock back on the door and come back in. Yeah, and it was too late. Yeah. And they would sort of be, or some of them would come back in a bit. You know? What's well, hard too, if you don't at least have your feet in it, you know, Oh yeah. like you got to remain active and you got to like, uh, I mean, I'm at a point in my life where, you know, I, I work full time and I do that stuff as well. But then it's uh, like the music stuff and doing things like this. It's like, that's what keeps me going. Like that's yeah. the reason to have a job. If anything, yeah. like the reason to have a job is so I can buy dumb guitars and I yeah. can buy microphones and yeah. I can 
pay to fly if you know mm. the show isn't going to cover all of it but again like that's a different thing too where when i was younger i would have gone like all right i'll save all my money yeah we'll make just enough money to pay for petrol yeah. and then we'll all chip in for this van yeah where now i'm like i'm not driving to fucking sydney i'm yeah. gonna fly to sydney and well, i'll just deal with it like, yeah yeah know. and also you know ticket ticket prices on a plane now are like a quarter of what yeah, they were. yeah yeah like exactly. i remember the first time i got in a plane it was it was an event for mm. our generation getting in a plane and flying somewhere can you can you remember the first time you flew somewhere yeah where'd and you, it was fantastic where'd you fly? um overseas oh. with my family but it, it, it's a big deal. It's crazy, yeah. And it's, it's a like whole. Now. It's a whole show. It's a whole like. Oh, yeah. Get to the airport ten hours before you need to leave, and <laughs> yeah. you know. Whereas now it's just like you you got to be there. Oh fucking! I got to be there twenty man. minutes before I leave. Man, they're like looking at people in the audience for like, does anyone here know how to fly it? We're cutting down on cost. That is like Tiger. Part didn't show up. We yeah. got to get there. So that's that is Tiger. Every yeah. time you're like getting your own stuff out, cooking your own meals in the back. <laughs> Does anyone else want some of this? Yeah, it's yeah. a jaffle. You know, and yeah, they've cut down on cost. I, those motherfuckers, I refuse to fly with now because... It's hard. I just don't know how much shit they've broke of mine. Yeah, and it's not worth and it. And they just kind of look at you like, now who's laughing? Yeah, and it's only, what, like, at most, like, $30 cheaper at yeah. the end of the day. I think like, Virgin got most of the musicians, you know. Yeah. Virgin, but I, I noticed my, my musician buddies who are doing really well... They go over to Qantas and they're so pretentious in the Qantas lounge. <laughs> you know, they oh, they've got the card and they, and they tag themselves in drinking at the Qantas bar. I'm like, yes, I know you're making money. Think of the, good for you. Think of the think of me back in Tiger, <laughs> four fucking miles away from the terminal, trying to find my bag, making my own javels, <laughs> yeah, bottle of Gatorade, trying to stop the perspiration off my face as I load out everyone's gear of the plane. <laughs> Yeah, that's... As you start working for the company. Well, that's how they do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let, let's... After all that rabble, let's yeah. talk about Chasing Ghosts. So how how did going from the bands and things that you're doing before end up with where you are now? Um, the short story was that when uh, I was playing in a band back then called Bellevue, and when Bellevue ended... Um, a whole bunch of sort of bands that were kind of at that intermediate level that were, you know, we'd done the, a, a lot of Parkway supports, which I think every band in Australia yes. could claim. Um, but we were doing that sort of stuff and it was the Prom Queens and the Parkways and the Carpathians and all those sorts of bands. And there was a, there was a bunch of bands that were at a very similar level, pulling good numbers, could do their own headliners in a state, on the road a lot. And they all sort of went boom or bust yeah. around the same time. And I think that was when a lot of those guys in Australia really started to look overseas. And so then that, um, it was a bit cookie cutter, you know, there was a lot yeah, of us sure. that sounded like we hadn't really developed our own sound. We just kind of like were successful because that was a sound that was people for, were liking. People liked it. You know, yeah. we sounded, I think I remember resist saying that we sounded like, um, a Treyu. Yeah. And um, probably to our detriment. Um, <laughs> people liked it, but it's like, well, yeah. there's already an Atreyu. Yeah, exactly. And um, everyone else sounded like, I remember distinctly like, oh, it's another Parkway band. Yeah. And uh, so there was that era. And then the band imploded and I looked around at sort of the punk hardcore scene 
back in New South Wales at the time. And a lot of people were just like, um, you know, I don't really want to do anything right now. And, and the guys turned around to me and was like, well, you know, have you ever thought you've always been a good singer? You, you never, you know, we've been telling you to sing in these bands and you've never ever sung. Why don't you, you can play guitar. Why don't you, you know, do your own thing? And I was just kind of, I don't know. I just kind of was a bit scared, I think. And then, anyway, so I, that's what ended up happening. No one else wanted, we kept trying to start hardcore bands out of like bits and pieces of members from lots of guys that are toured. And it's just nothing ever quite gelled. Like yeah. we'd always dreamed that it would be these great super groups. Sure. Um, you know how you froth like other local bands and you kind of like, you go, oh, I'd love to play with that if guy. If I have that dude from that band and yeah. those two guys. Yeah, he's the talented one in that one and they're the talented ones in that <laughs> one. And um, yeah, and we got all those talented guys in one room and it didn't work. So sure. when I did this solo thing and kind of didn't expect it to sell a record or to do anything and uh, six years later, you know, toured around the world and played big festivals and... Um, and you know, I've had I've had some, you know, elements of success and elements of surprise, and and made a bunch of friends on the way and sold a bunch of records, and and you know, it was just a bit of a wing it kind of thing at the start, and then bit by bit it took shape, and yeah, the uh, latest record, um, you know, we were fortunate enough to have Andrew from Comeback Kid come in and um, produce that, and he's been a mate of mine from back in the day, and so that was our friendship really sort of pulled together doing that record. And, and then we've got all, you know, these guys I toured with from back in the day that now make up the lineup. Sure. Uh, and it's a six piece, you know, like I was, if I was going to do a band, so I went from a soloist to turning it into like an ensemble and then into like a, a performancing sort of band. Mm -hmm. uh, it was like, well, I to replicate what I've made in a studio as a soloist. I need at least six dudes. And so that's, that's now it's like, um, we jam in on it. like, you know, fucking like, <laughs> like a bunch of illegals hiding in someone's unit. There's like so many of us that were in a sardine can yeah, sort of on a stage. And, um, but it, it, it sounds, it sounds how it's meant to sound. It's great. Yeah. And I enjoy it. And so what, how is like having, going from doing stuff solid to adding that stuff, how is that? How have you found that benefiting your live sound? Sonically, it's massive. Yeah. That's the big shift. Mm -hmm. um, but also, I didn't... You know, my persona, when I went from being a frontman and uh, in a hardcore band and jumping around and, and making, you know, lots of angsty aggression and all that stuff, to going to a soloist as a solo project... Um, I learned very quickly that I had to come with the same crowd engagement that sure. that was what was going to work about it because I couldn't put on a spectacle. What I could do is make crowd engagement and make sure people felt part of the show. That's what I believe made the hardcore scene so much more successful than previous alternative music scenes sure, was yeah. the audience felt as valued yeah. as the band. And you don't have to be in a band to be a part of That's what's right. going on. So I took that ethos into doing acoustic sort of folk punk stuff or folky kind of acoustic stuff. And then going back into formatting it in more of a band shape mm -hmm. was, I only knew how to do that as a hardcore singer. Yeah. And so I had to think about, well, what, what do I want to bring to the show? And, um, it's been another sort of reawakening of how to front a band. Mm -hmm. Because I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not doing pit calls, and yeah, I, yeah. and I'm not doing, um, 
and we're not a band that has been together for five years. We're a bunch of uh, seasoned musicians who have played in a bunch of other, a lot bigger projects mm. who have decided to do this project out of love. And, um, and it, it's been very interesting watching us find our footing on how we present ourselves. Yeah. And um, I feel like after this last tour, we've really locked in and, and, and started to make something really special happen. So that's, it's been exciting, you know, it's been challenging and exciting. And surely that's why you still do it. Is that yeah, it's, yeah. it's different and it's a challenge. Yeah. Well, and, and every time something new like that comes along to it, helps reinvigorate that initial passion as well like it reignites that spark that you got well it's interesting is now we're playing we're back cataloging um songs from the first record Mm -hmm. that were originally always performed solo and with maybe a small ensemble and now we're playing those live as a full piece band and that's been really cool and to watch fans who've been there for a while um, singing along, but hearing it in a bigger sonic uh, sphere. You know, it, it, the the sound is like it, all the parts they've been hearing for years on the record. Yeah, now they're there. They're there. Yeah, and that people have enjoyed that. So I think that'll happen more and more and more. And we look. You know, the plan is it's only three months since we released the second record after like five years. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, within the next eighteen months, we'll have another record out. Yeah, cool. And so is that going to be something you're going to try and develop then ongoing using more of those parts now? Or is it still going to be something that's initially focused solo and then it expands outward? Well, that's, you know, I think that's probably a conversation we're still having. And that's that um, I don't want the limitations on... Uh, you know, like when a band writes a song together yeah. and then they go into the studio and record it, it sounds like a band wrote a song together. What I want to do is make sure that I do what the song's asking for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it needs a, a vibraphone yeah. or it needs a trumpet, it's going to have a trumpet. It's going to yeah, have yeah. a vibraphone. It's going to have that. I don't have a vibraphone player. I don't have a trumpet player. So, yeah. you know, have to we, figure it out. Yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> let the, I'll let future Jim worry about that that's his problem yeah this current gym will deal with it so and that's kind of probably how i'll do it so what's what's upcoming then for you what's on the cards uh well tomorrow night we're we're doing a show with our uh buddies in um my echo which is gonna be cool that's their album launch Mm -hmm. um so that's friday night and uh and with the um you know great punk rock band and so we'll, we'll play with those guys We've got sort of a bit of a rockabilly influence and that's pretty cool. And yeah. then I think at that point we're going to reassess things for, for the next tour and, and how we do that and what we do and release some more singles. And Yeah, cool. And uh, we're working on a very special campaign that's top secret at the moment. Cool. Well, we'll have to keep an, yeah, keep an ear out, keep yeah. an eye out. Yeah, it's like, it's you know, it's not that top secret. I'm sure WikiLeaks isn't going to take the time to leak it. but <laughs> Or listen to this podcast yeah, and figure yeah, it out. Yeah. Snowden's <laughs> onto this somehow there. They're sussing this out. Um, all right, cool. Was well, there anything you would like to plug or promote before we finish up? Uh, just that, you know, come out to a show, come say good day. If people come to a show, please come and say good day. Like that's make more friends, make more community. And yeah. um, keep coming out to shows and 
oh, guys like me, I'll be somewhere near the, the bathroom getting, you know, my 15-minute pee break in. That's what old guys do. I drink a beer and then I need to pee immediately. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I'll be there in the senior citizen section. Come and <laughs> hang out with me and, and some of the guys say good day and jump on the socials and keep in touch. Just, uh, yeah, chasing ghosts, you'll find it. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks heaps for doing the podcast, man. Thanks very much for having me. Oh, good. Us. See ya. Cheers.